The forces that craft and peddle control on this planet, though in existence for perhaps millennia, appear to be immutable, too powerful to sink or fail. But for some on this planet, and what spiritual philosopher and teacher Neil Kramer calls empire, the rules and rulers of this global game just don't exist. Neil joined me to discuss his thoughts on what it takes to walk a sovereign path, even amid this mad world of containment and control. And in his signature blend of eloquence and honesty, his message is simple but profound. Listen to what Neil had to share. In a world that by all appearances has gone outright mad, there's one individual who I consider to be my own intellectual, spiritual, philosophical saving grace. And I happen to have him here with me today, and that's none other than Mr. Neil Kramer. Neil, without question, I refer to you as one of the greatest spiritual philosophers of our time, hands down. And I know I'm not alone in that assessment. So I know it's going to be a treat to engage in a discussion with you today about this mad world that we're uh, watching unfold before us. But within that, we're going to delineate how each of us can, if we so desire, walk a sovereign and self-empowered path, despite the pull to get us to do anything but. So welcome, Neil. <laughs> thank you for having me here, and uh, thank you for those kind words. Well, it's, it's the truth. I speak the truth, and again, I know I'm not alone in that assessment, so it's a pleasure to have you. Well, listen, as I uh, told you over email, we've been kind of going back and forth a little bit on what we'd be discussing uh, when we first decided to do the show, I was so incredibly moved by a relatively recent interview you did with Regina Meredith on her show, Open Minds, which I love on the uh, Gaia television network. And the discussion you are having with her is one that I'd like to continue today. And that's about having self-authority in a polarized world. Uh, I know it's a loaded topic and we can go off in many different directions with this idea of polarization. But I want to start with this question, if I may, Neil. Mm -hmm. It seems that humans have uh, this habituation toward taking sides, of choosing one side or another on various issues, lifestyles these days, now more than ever. Where do you think this pull to pick a side comes from? And is it instinctual, you think, or learned behavior? I think it's learned behavior. And I think it stems from the system of world governance that was set in place around about the time of what we would call ancient Egypt. And the rulers, the godmen, who were appointed under very dubious circumstances, which is a whole other discussion, uh, have an unbroken lineage from then to now, completely unbroken, both in ethos and bloodline and all kinds of strange esoteric matters. But to focus on the, the bit that answers your question, I think, they discovered a long time ago, and it's probably easier to see it in the time of Rome, where we have more <clears throat> more effective and more articulate uh, chronicles of the time. If you look at Roman Empire, the Romans were masters of population manipulation, social control, social uh, steerage. And they realized that instead of having physical force to control a population it's far better to do it by controlling what they think mm -hmm. and very quickly they discovered that if you control the language you control the as you might say the lexicon the vocabulary the definitions if you control those things 
you control everything. Mm -hmm. Because without language, 99.9% of human beings cannot think. It's very difficult to think about a thing without language, even without opening one's mouth. So if you go back to the times of Rome and, and read about these you know, terrible social manipulations, if you just switched the word Rome for England or America or Israel or Palestine or Germany or Afghanistan, you would think you were reading modern propaganda philosophy. Mm-hmm. It's, it's almost identical. So I would say that it's been uh, indoctrinated mm-hmm. over many, well, millennia. I was going to say centuries. It's much longer than that, millennia. And so it's it's almost feeling like it's the natural thing, uh, this tendency to pick from the menu. And all empire, and we'll come to what that means yes. mm-hmm. a little later, but all, quote, the system needs to do is control everything on the menu that you can pick from. So it's like going to a restaurant, like I went to a restaurant the other day with my good lady, and she said, you know, she said, there's nothing speaking to me on this menu. <laughs> and then you face the the uh, challenge, don't you? Do you want to get up and walk out and say to the guy, you know what, we've decided to leave, thank you, goodbye. Or do you think, well, I better pick something. We're here now. I better pick something from the menu. And I think that menu has become so dominant that people don't realize that there are other alternatives. And that's that's a question of self-belief. That's a question of strength, philosophical and psychological uh, penetration in terms of one's own ability to perceive the world. And when you do that, you immediately start to more frequently discard that menu of, am I a progressive liberal or am I a traditional conservative? Which is it? Which is it? Are you for guns? Are you against guns? Which is it? Do you think immigration's good? Do you think immigration's bad? Which is it? And all along the way, as I've been writing about for a long time uh, on this particular topic, there's a really easy solution, which is just to say, are those my only choices? Is that it? Is that the only way I can do it? I'll I'll give you a very funny and classic example. in esoteric philosophy, of particularly of hermetic and um, mystical origin of the Western esoteric traditions, there is not infrequent mention in some of the more arcane texts that the Earth is actually uh, the center of things, not the sun. So you might say it's a geocentric model, not a heliocentric model. And there's also suggestions that the Earth isn't quite the sort of ball and mm-hmm. blue marble that we thought it was. And this has gone on for a, you know, a long, long time. And I, I'm quite happy to entertain a lot of those ideas because it, mysticism is a very empirical thing. So you're quite experiential in how you approach it. But because in the last five years of the rise of the, quote, flat Earth movement mm-hmm. and, and so many videos on YouTube and stuff... People were putting the question, is Neil Kramer a globe or a flat earther person? Are you a flat earther or not? And again, people who were very emotionally invested in that question were very angry that they thought I was a flat earther. And some other people were very angry that they thought I was not a flat earther. And of course, the truth is I am neither. Neither. That, that, That would be like... 
the 556,000th thing on the list of things that define Neil, who is Neil Kramer. It doesn't feature in the top 100. It doesn't. It's nothing to do with it. So I always ask the question, are those my only choices? Yeah. And that, that's, that's an empowering thought in a very information-dense experience. And so, so when I draw back from that, it immediately simplifies the argument when you realize that, that the menu is yours to create of life, your menu. What do you do with education? What do you do with food? What do you do with sex? What do you do with combat? What do you do with finances? All of those things must be self-determined if you're ever going to find a path. It's like that old Latin phrase, vium in venium ort facium, mm. which means find a way, or if you can't, make one. Love it. So, and that, that's the principle of my work. I, my job doesn't exist. Consulting spiritual philosopher is not a job. So I had to make it a job. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love it. We're off to a roaring start. This is great, Neil Kramer. You've been talking about the shopping list, if you will, as an analogy that I thought was so apropos and still do for a long time. And I couldn't, uh, couldn't concur more. Uh, is just as a footnote on this, this flat earth debacle or debate i too have been procured to uh you know proffer my (laughs) is it one or the what do you think it's got to be one or the other and i think that's you know what it feels like absolutely and i echo your sentiment completely first of all it's probably pretty close to the bottom of my list of priorities of if I were to pick something. But most importantly, um, I don't know. <laughs> and that's something that I have a, a fondness for saying uh, a lot these days. I don't well, know. And that's, that's, that's okay. Really good. That's really good. <laughs> and it, as our old friend Socrates reminds us yes. over and over, saying I don't know is very important Absolutely. for the proper attitude toward wisdom Mm -hmm. so it it does come down to the the branch of philosophy that we call epistemology which is how do you know what you know right how how can you say a thing is a thing and you say well how do you know that there are satellites in space not many people know that because Mm -hmm. no one's ever seen one no one's ever even seen a photograph of one i would suggest if you go onto google images and type in satellite orbiting earth you will see cgi renders but you will it will be difficult for you to find a single photograph Mm -hmm. so that's a classic example how do you know that satellites orbit the earth Uh, empirically people don't know so that's a lovely example to say to anybody whatever they think whatever school of thought they come from which is that's a piece of data that you are presuming Mm -hmm. that's a that's something that you assume based on the giant consensus, right. the giant received wisdom that appears to say, uh, you know, all the school shootings are the result of terrible AR-15s in circulation and very, you know, troubled people. That appears to be the narrative that people would go to, but it's not true, mm-hmm. simply not true. And then you have to face the fact that if you are going to deal with empirically determining your own answers to what the mystery of the world is you're going to often in fact more often than not fly in the face of the consensus you're going to have to swim upstream every single day absolutely yeah absolutely this uh coming into this information i do believe uh particularly those uh that listen to higher journeys as well as your uh the the, uh, programs that you frequent 
I have to give a shout out to to Veritas because I think you you and Mel do a phenomenal job going back yeah, and Mel's, forth. Mel's a, He's a uh, wonderful. Re- Regina Meredith and Mel Fabregas are always people I love talking to because they, uh, they're just good hearted, yes. super excellent people. They really are. And I would also say that their audience uh, are, are in that camp as well. So in speaking to our audience, assuming that there are quite a few individuals that are of the same uh, similar spiritual ilk, to hear what you've just said, Neil, is can be both frightening and liberating at the same time. There's that paradox. But I, I say liberating. I, I do think that there's some people that are habituated. You used a term that I love, I heard earlier, uh, of um, it being impervious to control, being impervious to conditioning. Mm-hmm. And I want to get into that maybe a little farther down the road in this discussion. But for those that are they're they're already sort of aligning with this this is how they think i'm going to i'm not going to look at the list i'm going to uh pick from my own well maybe there is no list the the list like the rabbit hole is infinite as well and design my own yes others that is extraordinarily frightening to say well wait a minute now uh i i thought i had choice you're saying i don't or i i I can't create anything outside of that paradigm What, what what do you what <laughs> yeah well what it's we like here. it's like it's like at school uh when i was at in england primary school which is a little bit like elementary school you know school for little kids mm-hmm. on a friday afternoon very often the uh english uh section of the teaching the english teacher would say right let's write a story and you can write about anything you want to write about anything at all uh and it was probably just the teacher's way of grabbing half an hour while they you know just go away and have a coffee and <laughs> prepare themselves for the uh, you know the weekend or something but when that used to happen in my primary school class it was my favorite part of the week not because it was the end of the week but because I could write about whatever I wanted to write about and I was so excited with that openness and that broad you know deep juicy horizon that just went on and on forever, and anything could come from it, any landscape, any drama, any fiction, any reality, a small thing, a big thing, a fantastic thing, a poignant, anything. And even to my young, unformed imagination, it was still nevertheless very vibrant, of course. Children's imagination is so delicious and so powerful. Mm -hmm. But, But I would look across the room, and half the room of the other children were mortified at the prospect of having no boundaries. Yeah. They were like, what are you going to write about? Well, I don't know. What is, what do you, I don't understand. Where, can we talk about home? What? Should we write about what we're having for dinner? I don't understand. Are we supposed to write something serious or something fun? Well, I, don't, I don't get it. They were afraid to get it wrong. They're afraid to fail. Mm-hmm. So when you see people who uh, uh, are you know, reacting negatively to the idea of self-determination it's the fear of failure that makes them feel that way and that fear of failure is let's say you know a percentage is their fault for not having that confidence in themselves for all kinds of complex reasons and a percentage of that is the parenting a percentage of that is their schooling a percentage of that is culture at large and i would say and we'll We'll define empire in a moment. Uh, empire puts forward the idea that if you don't choose from the menu, you will fail. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it's it's doing that 
since kindergarten to you know postgraduate you know stuff at university and professorships and whatever all the way through all the way through it's saying pick from our menu or you will fail and that's a very insidious thing to do so let me just define empire if i may for yes, a moment please do empire is a word that i use to indicate an ideology of um control controlling humankind by sort of containing it to a lower state mentally physically emotionally spiritually morally everything it, it's an ethos and it's a group of people and when humans are contained in that way think of think of a beautiful uh, snow leopard one of the most marvelous animals on god's earth if you put that in a cage and contain it in that way suddenly its majesty starts to withdraw and its confidence starts to diminish somewhat and it starts to generate you know a low frequency this terrible situation and that low frequency is what we generate too when we're contained mm -hmm. and it serves as a sort of food a sort of fuel source for empire and they use that to sustain it themselves in various ways which again is a very esoteric avenue to go down so we won't go down that path just now but i will say that it's important to understand that empire is ancient it's very immoral and yet it's very influential very pervasive very apolitical as well but the key thing with this system because i know this can sound somewhat conspiratorial if we're not careful the key thing with this system is that it requires the consent of the people to function because the 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 entities the forces the powers the philosophies that uh, embolden empire are actually operating from quite a high space which is something people have a difficulty understanding and again which i can come to if necessary and when you're operating the more conscious you are let me put it this way the more conscious consciousness you have the more you have to obey the law of not opposing anybody's consent so if i say no then a higher force cannot touch me mm -hmm. If I say no to a lower force, it can just ignore me and smack me in the face or whatever. But the higher the force, the more it has to obey the will of the individual. Because as I always say, and I'm quite happy to say this, the will of the individual is God's will. Temporarily given to us for our hundred years of life. And, say, and he says, hey, there you go. Here's a little fragment of my awesomeness. You go away into this mystery, mystery world, and unfold it and make decisions and look at the consequences of your decisions and that's what we call life and through those unfoldments you will see an extraordinary amount of things it will give you tremendous wisdom and when you bring that back to me it will aid everyone it will aid me it will aid everybody so that will cannot be contravened because it's god's will so the primary power of empire is tricking people into consenting to stuff that harms themselves. Mm -hmm. And they do it year after year, decade after decade. So the, the way to disinfect oneself from empire is to stop feeling that um, you have to choose from their menu of life options. Like, I have to have a career. I have to have this kind of house. I have to drive this kind of car. I have to have this kind of family. I have to send my kids to school. You know, the basics, basic, basic, basic that's 
imprinted in everybody's mind from the moment they ever see anything on a screen or a page. It's imprinted. And I have to say this is important as well. In the times that we live in at the moment, Empire is predominantly using left-wing politics mm -hmm. to propagate its collectivism, which is the center of Empire. Where, it, where there is collectivism, there is Empire, which is essentially centralized social control. And the more centralized, the better. So if you talk about the Democratic Party 50 years ago in America, it was okay. There was lots of interesting ideas that when you um, superimpose it over the Republican Party, somewhere in between there was something good happening, right? Where those two on your little Venn diagram overlap. Now, the polarity has pushed both so far that, to be honest, it's funny to look at, but if you're looking at the Democratic Party, it's socialism now. Mm -hmm. It wasn't 50 years ago, but it is now. Yeah. And that, that's, that's a problem. And a lot of people who believed in the, as I say, the lovely interplay between some conservative values and some liberal values, which we all have both, of course we all have both, that's really disappearing. And if you look at that one way, you say, well, what a terror. How awful that is that the beautiful middle ground has disappeared. We can't vote for it anymore. No, this is a wonderful thing because it, it forces the individual to formulate their own equilibrium. And you're going to say equilibrium, absolutely. You're not going to mm -hmm. get it from Hillary, yeah. and you're not going to get it from Donald, although Donald Trump is totally, totally the most amazing world leader of all time. Which We're going to have you elaborate on that Which later. we can I'm, come to, yeah, which is so, so wonderful. It's the best thing that's ever happened in world politics, ever, ever, ever. Yeah. But those two individuals don't have the answer for us. So it... This whole system, you can't go to Bernie Sanders. He's not, he's not there to help you. Hillary is not there to help you. They can't do it. Angela Merkel, you know, um, Theresa May in England, they're not, they're not there to help you. They're not, their job is not to help us be fruitful and happy. That's not their job. We have to do it for ourselves. And now the political polarization is so vast, it's so epic, such a canyon. You're forced to say, well they haven't got the the bridge that I thought they did that will take me to this um, level of refinement. I, I'm going to have to do it for myself. Yeah, you, You're packing so much in, and I'm trying to make mental note uh, rather than write it down, so it's, that's not picked up my writing, taking copious notes on the microphone. But I, <laughs> So I'm going to try to go back and see if I can comb through a couple of the things that you, you made. I want to um, start with this. Um, you talk about, Neil, containment and this, again, this habituation to pick from a list and God forbid we go off the 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 script, if you will, okay. out out of the syllabus and into the stratosphere. Um, <laughs> there are that is clearly and unequivocally the masses. But then there are those who, as we said, and I think it's time to go there a little bit, who seem to be impervious to that containment, impervious to that control. Um, and I, I really want to ask you, um, I mean, these are people that have a natural, we're talking about the relative few that have this natural inclination or proclivity toward a more sovereign path. We're talking about those who no matter what cannot be fooled by empire's agenda. Let's talk about them for a little for a little bit. And I have a feeling, like I said, we have some in the audience, maybe more than some, hopefully, that are in that camp. 
Where do you think this independent and individualized tendency comes from in those tiny few like you? Like one me? word, one word, soul. Ah. Soul is impervious to control because it's not here. It beams into us like the sunshine radiates onto us, emanates into us and around us every day. It's a ray, a ray of wisdom from the creator. Soul is that ray. And the ray that follows us through our life is, is as you may say, our soul. And it is not tainted. It's not dented and scratched and bruised by the rigors of the 3D world in the same way that, let's say, self is. And when you start to find equilibrium in your daily practice, mentally, physically, emotionally, you open a channel for soul to be a more consistent part of your life, not as a thought, not as a philosophy, but as a physical experience, as an actual experience of illumination, where it can show you things that you can otherwise you cannot otherwise know. And when that comes about, that soul inflow, we call it in my work, you treat knowledge and wisdom in a completely different way, not as an acquisition, mm -hmm. but as a felt experience. And what you turn your attention to shares itself with you, if soul can be there. So it's it's a very deep subject this that would take me like 12 hours to give it any sort of justice at all but in a nutshell this is, this is the sense of it soul goes where it's needed not everyone has one because mm. they're not doing the work that it's for so imagine soul says i go to the humans who are doing higher transformative work on themselves with others in the world who are contributing feeling sharing thinking, acting truthfully. Soul goes where truthfulness is. And if somebody lives untruthfully on a chronic basis, i.e. they really go off the path and become an immoral, bad person, soul withdraws. Mm -hmm. And that person then is not actually an ensouled child of God. They are just a walking animal, which is fine. So what? Does that mean that we treat them any differently? No. They've decided not to do something, so Saul says, oh, okay, I'll, uh, I'll see you later. I've, I've got other people who need this power, this continuance. Because if you're not doing transformative work, you're just living for your own comfort and security, then soul is not required. It's not a punishment. It's just not required. So only those pilgrims who go about the engagement with the mystery of life uh, have soul mm. and those who do not do not that's a strong statement because the inference obviously I, I think if i'm hearing you correctly neil is that there are many walking the planet today we're told there are seven and a half plus billion people i i question that uh, but many of those people may be devoid of soul correct that, that's, that's that's heavy it. it's true to me, it's a truth because there is no other thing that I see that makes uh, any sense other than that. And I think it's the ultimate equality, isn't it? It's the ultimate. Absolutely. It's the, it's the total equity of life, which is if you do truthful, higher living, which is a, simply a choice. It's not a great extravagant craft it's just a day by day moment by moment choice 
in that truthfulness, soul will shine upon you and will save you from mortality. And if you uh, don't do that work, you are unsaved because you don't need to be saved. So it's like a tree that burns down in a forest fire and is reduced to a different elemental component and recycled back into life. It's not a disaster. It didn't need a soul that particular tree. Maybe no trees have souls. I would argue against that, though. Hmm. All forms can be transcended. Everything can earn a soul by that, virtue of its own path. Right. That was my next question, because perhaps there are some people sitting there going, well, gosh, maybe my soul has abandoned me, but I think I'd like to have well, it back. Well, you better get to work then. I was, <laughs> and that's, that's a very serious thing. So we're not talking about being devoid of a soul, and that's the end of it. You can with the proper uh, walk and, and establishing that equilibrium, which I would like to have you talk about a little bit more, you can reacquire, this is a question, not a statement, reacquire the soul essence within you? When you walk in truth, the hand of God is always with you. When you deepen, when you transform, soul flows inward. Mm -hmm. Very well put. Very well put. Okay. That gives some hope. Because I do think in, in, in very serious terms, we're looking, I mean, look, you, it, you can see evidence of this everywhere you look for those that have the eyes to see. You can see it. They say that the eyes are the window to the soul. I don't think that that is just a metaphor. I do think that there is a certain life force that you can see or not in a person's eyes when you're engaging right. them in discussion. My mother used right. to say that to me all the time. Alexis, the eyes are the window to the soul. And I do believe so, there's something to that. Let me suggest this to you. Equate soul with light. And if you say, if I say that Alexis Brooks, she is radiant. When I walk in the room, she lights the room up. Not just her personality or her physical beauty. There's something else. So you know when you, when you <laughs> meet somebody and you think they just light the place up. Absolutely. Soul is flowing inward. And when soul flows inward, it, it, they become radiant. They are a radiant being. And all humans have that instrumentation, have that capacity, should they so wish to mm -hmm. exercise it. And when they don't, you know, when you go to the, uh, if you ever go to a like late night gas, 24 hour gas station, and you go down the aisle to buy a packet of mints or something, or you popped in to visit the restroom, some of the dead people who I sometimes see walking in there. It's not just because it's late or they're tired. They're like the, the people who have ceased soul work a long time ago, and I'm like, wow, that's incredible. I often see them in Walmart as well, for oh, some gosh. strange reason. Oh. You're so, being facetious, I mean, I'm sure. I yeah, <laughs> I often see them in Walmart. I often, yeah. But I'll tell you where I see them more than ever, in Whole Foods. That's the Isn't ultimate, that something? The ultimate magnetization for dead people is Whole Foods. Sorry, Whole Foods. Uh, they're owned by Amazon now anyway, so who cares? Oh, wow. I think I know what you're saying. In the places where one would think you'd find a, a slightly higher caliber of, or no, at least it's awaken. It's, it, I it's understand. Yeah, it's I think I've said because they're dreaming. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I, I say this a little bit to provoke the thought, mm. and I do it with a twinkle in the eye, which we can't see at the moment, but I'm not, I'm not suggesting this as uh, anything other than a a challenge to the individual to say, what are you doing? What are you doing with your channel of soul? Are you doing anything or are you doing nothing? Because if you do nothing, when you die, you're dead, oblivion, end, bye-bye. 
And if you do something, you're given the gift through soul of continuance. The most beautiful word for the mystical student, continuance, which is you're doing something so valuable that the creator says, you know what, this is awesome. I'm going to give you soul and transmigrate you as many times as you wish and to have times of extraordinary illumination in yourself, to have times of extraordinary contribution outwards, always. And then when you wish, you can make your homeward journey to me. So there's an outbound journey and there's a homeward journey and that exciting spiritual adventure that takes so many thousands of years is given to every single human being should they so wish. It's beautiful. I agree with you. I think that's beautiful. It's complex and simple at the same time. Yet another paradox. It's very, very simple. And yet, if you go to a normal high school and a normal college, university in America or Europe in particular, those are the two places I know best, that will be drummed out of you every single hour of every single day. Well, herein lies empire again. I, I want to stay on the, the theme of empire. And I, when I first heard you use the term, Neil, uh, quite a few years ago at this point, I thought it was so apt because I think it just encapsulates the largeness and the longevity of this devious, you know, faction that seems to have uh, have uh, control over so much. But yeah. I want to use this as a, a moment to segue because I think empire may be useful. You said something in the interview that I love that you did with with Regina Meredith. Uh, I think it was about a year ago now that you, you were over at Gaia. And you talked about empire as being a tool to provoke us to self-authority. You know, I have to tell you, I've often sensed that this is the case. And I've had, I've been moved to almost be, be an argument with those that are thinking, oh, the evildoers, there's nothing that can be good about that. But I'm like, well, it depends on how you look at it. On some level, the difficulties that seem to be imposed on us from the outside are really nothing more than tools, unbeknownst to the controllers who designed the system, I would say, to get us to grow. And that uh, this reality, with all of its tumult, is really just is a a term that physicist Tom Campbell used. Uh, This world is an entropy reduction trainer for souls. And I love that. What are your thoughts on that? I agree, essentially. I agree. At the very, very highest level, it's, this is a game, and there is no winning and there's no losing. There's only playing the game. And when you play, you will uh, illuminate yourself. You will grow wiser. And the more truthfulness you bring into your game playing, which is to engage with the mystery of life, the better and more useful its spiritual uh, attainment will be in oneself and the more attainment we have the more the world shares its uh, abundance with us and attainment again is self-chosen it's not like you're born as a super brainy gifted person and it's not everyone has that this doesn't work like that everyone has it everyone has the opportunity for soul inflow so this this system of empire this uh, great evil through that we've seen in the last uh, 10 years through people like Barack Obama and Joe Biden, this great evil that pretends to be something good uh, is administrated in so many ways by so many different people. It's, it's kind of hard to keep track of. Mm. And you'll, you'll definitely, if you study that, come across lots of, quote, conspiracy material 
or today we we try and use a more grown-up word parapolitical material which is probably a better word and sure enough sure enough right from the the early days of this kind of work in the 70s and 80s uh, good inquirers good investigators realized that there is a, a hidden system mm-hmm. and uh that system which let's say uh donald trump calls the deep state is a real thing it is a real thing and it's pretty much penetrated all the intelligence services of note mi5 mi6 fbi cia nsa mossad etc and that system is completely uh opposed to the fruitfulness and the liberty of human beings and it's been running for a long time as i say since at least egypt so you think oh my gosh what a disaster i don't want to think about that it makes me feel funny it make it brings disharmony to even say that let alone go into the endless machinations of how that hurts people and uh, innocent people at that that's one view my view is it will force you to do things differently it will compel you to say this system is so plainly wicked so plainly anti-human that i am going to formulate my own goodness mm-hmm. and my own humanity and i am going to if nothing else walk around for 100 years as a beacon of goodness and humanity and to hell with every system that is opposed to that even the ones that are so uh, enriched and so empowered by the deception that they have wrought upon the people particularly Barack Obama and you watch what happens to him over the next 18 months i think you'll, people will be in for a big surprise mm. something very interesting is coming along those lines uh, joe biden included really? very 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 wicked man john mccain included very very wicked man so it's not this is not party political nonsense from me this is about administrators who were given a particular job very very bad news however let's let's say the thing that's most important it's a game it's a game of polarization and when the polls push so far to the outside it forces it compels or if it was coming from within oneself we could say it impels the individual to find equilibrium as soon as you find that the polarizing forces lose their power over you hmm. instantly it dissolves and then when i look at cnn and the bbc the most disgusting news organizations in the history of mankind they make me laugh they don't make me vomit and bleed from my eye sockets like they used to do <laughs> they make wow. me smile and chuckle at the total ridiculousness of what they are yeah i've heard the term transparency used you know we we think of transparency as those uh evil doers as some call them is they need to be more transparent but frankly i think they are being transpa- transparent by default because people are starting to see uh the the um their their ways through it's so obvious now um yes indeed yeah yeah wow wow so again so many different things i want to get to and i'm looking at the clock unfortunately we only have about 15 or 20 minutes left but let's let's stick with two ideas i love your distillation of equilibrium and how and i know this again is multifaceted 
but as something to aspire to in your way of explaining um, how one might go once they recognize that equilibrium is essential and walking a sovereign path. Maybe you could elaborate on that a little bit. And then I'd like sure. to go back and talk about polarity and shadow mapping, if we can fit that in. So I'll have yeah. to take it away on equilibrium. Sure. There's so many good things to say, isn't, isn't there? It's, it's just There a, really it's, is. And this is a great conversation. It's positive. <laughs> quite positive. It is. It's always positive. It's always positive. Yes, Even absolutely. when it's negative, it's positive. Absolutely. Agreed. <sighs> yeah. Okay. Equilibrium is, let's say, it's like beautiful music. So if someone says, how do I play the piano i say okay there's these black and white keys and you press your fingers on it and it makes a sound and they say okay but how do i make beautiful music <laughs> well that's a whole other question that's a whole other thing that involves so many factors so many skills and experiences to make beautiful music you must have your heart broken to make beautiful music you must be skillful you must be strong you must be a human being with a soul and you must have a higher inspiration you must aspire to something outside of yourself that is better than what you are and then you may have a chance at making beautiful music equilibrium is very similar to that it comes from decades of thinking feeling and acting truthfully that's what equilibrium is the fruit of those things and so if someone does that a little bit now and again equilibrium will rarely come it, it will come to everybody in uh so spontaneous you know little orgasmic moments of happiness and harmony but then again they will dissipate and disperse and flow away if you craft truthfulness into your thoughts if you craft truthfulness into your feelings and very importantly that you build it and embody it into your acts into your deeds then equilibrium will start to attend your day more consistently it will witness with you the world and that equilibrium puts you in the position of let's say the martial artist who can throw you know five six foot two guys around without too much trouble because they found a strange power mm. of equilibrium in that whatever force comes their way they can turn it around and transmute it got it so like mm -hmm. in aikido for example if you watch some very talented aikido practitioners you will see them never be afraid to engage force positive negative or otherwise because they are masters of transmuting polarization masters of transmuting positive and negative mm -hmm. so that the the best thing that can be possible for a, an aikido combat situation is that a big guy bigger than stronger than you runs at you as soon as he does that he's almost certain to be defeated because you can turn his energy against himself so equilibrium is really transmutation yes it, it's mm -hmm. saying in my understanding in my truthfulness, I am not just me anymore. It's not just Alexis trying to figure out what the hell's going on. It's not just Neil trying to figure out what on earth this strange mystery of life is. Soul flows in. And when soul flows in, God flows in. And when God flows in, you've got the whole of the universe is with you. And equilibrium starts to balance the day. 
starts to balance one's thoughts and feelings and you're not acting alone you're in alliance you know as a, a christian might say you know there's the spirit of the the lord is with them or you know i walk with christ or something like that and if they want to personalize it in that way sure or if somebody says you know the the spirit of the buddha is with me and i feel this great ancient transference giving its uh, insight and enlightenment to my moment fine well, however you want to describe it fine but what it comes down to is this beautiful concrescence of energies where they all synthesize into this uh, complete equilibrium complete harmony complete illumination and at that point positive and negative collapse mm -hmm. so the the terrors of Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama have no effect yeah. and the the horrors of violence and abuse and and terror start to dissipate start to quickly diminish wherever you go so the illumination in the footsteps of the man with equilibrium the woman with equilibrium changes everything they do everything they touch mm -hmm. whether you're in the grocery store whether you're on stage talking to people whether you're doing the gardening pruning the rose bush it makes no difference the illumination is in the footsteps love it would it be fair to say, Neil, um, when you say equilibrium, and by the way, I want to say, I, I have to tell you, I have heard of so many people that are now complaining of vertigo. I don't think that's an accident. With that said, let's talk about the role that emotion, extreme feeling, can play in helping one to find equilibrium. Might it be a conduit? Wow, that, this is like my favorite subject. Is, <laughs> oh, is this? I wish I wish we'd start. We did not this. rehearse this, people. We just we didn't rehearse. <laughs> I'm just no, kind of just... going with the flow. Go for it. Neil. That's right. That's the best way to do it. May yeah. I say, Alexis, as well. I'll always do that. Feeling is not a response to the world. It's reaching into the world. If you can't feel, you're not living. So I say in my work, feeling is making contact with reality. It is primary. Thought is merely to articulate that feeling, not the other way around. So feeling is everything. Feeling is making contact with the world. When you feel, you are merging. And if you cap feeling, if you limit it, then you can never actually attain the wisdom of what it is to be merged with the world, what it is to be merged with a woman, what it is to be merged with a mountain. You can never know. And so total feeling, to let every feeling burn to its fullest, to destroy you utterly, to break your heart and snap it in two and turn it to dust, blown to the wind, desolate, destroyed, that is essential human experience. It shows you so much. And soul says, well done. That is a test. You have passed the initiation to embrace pain, to embrace the total sorrow of separation. As you have that, the need for it to pursue you diminishes. So the more you are prepared to feel, particularly the negative, the less necessary it is for you to experience it because you have already gained most of the wisdom from those things. So total suffering brings such a vast amount of wisdom that the need for that individual to continually suffer in life would be almost zero. So I have felt in my life, let's just speak 
about that for a moment. The more I'm prepared to feel total desolation, total pain, the more able I'm a, you know, uh, prepared to feel real joy, like the joy of a child, not just the passing contentment of an adult, but the total ecstasy of life, the better my life has got and the more freedom and harmony and fun and adventure and wisdom has come my way. If you try and limit feeling, the world will always conspire mm -hmm. to upset you, to disturb you, to disgrace your dreams. And it will do that because it's trying to help you. And it looks like misfortune, but it's not. It's a gift. It's soul saying, hey, what are you doing? Wake up, wake up, come on. You must feel, you must feel. So the more total feeling that can be embodied in the individual, the more uh, acceleration there is on that journey to equilibrium. If, if thought is primary, then the journey to equil equilibrium is a long and slow and rocky one, right. which is okay, and maybe that's what somebody wants or needs or chooses or who knows. But for me, I, li I like life to be good. <laughs> Call me old-fashioned, you know. <laughs> I like life to be have a nice mix of levity and fun and play and seriousness and profundity and mystery. I like those things to encompass my day. And the more I feel, the more they do. The more you feel. The very innate uh, part of being human and being spiritual that has been drilled out of so many these days, the embracing feeling, regardless, and I, perhaps you can talk about this too, thoughts on hating completely versus loving, not versus, and loving completely, <laughs> and how the two can, uh, they do what they're designed to do, help us really get into the essence of feeling. Talk about hate. I know this has been controversial for some people. Uh, we don't want to do that. We've got to keep it positive. I disagree. You've got to feel completely. I concur with your philosophy 150%. Let's talk about that in our remaining minutes. We're going to have to do a part two, I think. <laughs> Let's talk about how you love to hate. hate. I love I love hate. <laughs> I love to hate. I am a hater, oh. right? Hate is so crucial, so important in life. I can't I can't emphasize that enough. It has, it has so many, um, so many aspects. Again, it's hard. It's hard to know where to go in. Let me let me say it like this. Mm. Um, th let's take the idea of what Empire is trying to do, which is create one giant monoculture dystopian world with fifty billion zombie citizens, and the you know day to day mirage of mass media promoting that through all kinds of robot celebrities that I hate that yeah. I hate that idea I hate it the word hate contains the wisdom and, and let me explain what I mean by that the word hate from the old English word Hattian means to regard something with extreme ill will to have a passionate aversion to something to treat it as an enemy right and that, that derives from the uh, proto-Indo-European root word, CAD. Sorrow, hatred, grief. 
And that's from the, the Greek word kad, from the Greek word kedos, which means care, trouble, uh, sorrow, right? So hate is actually sorrow, care, and anger. And I have much sorrow, much care, and much anger in my body, in my mind, in my heart and soul. And so the hating is very important. When you express yourself, hate will come. And if you express yourself fully, Empire now calls that hate speech, which is actually a crime in many parts of the world for, for which you may be imprisoned. If I said, for example, in England, I hate Muslim culture, whether I do or not, let's forget that. Uh, I would be able to be in prison for that if I said it publicly and roused people. However stupid it may be to say that, or however good, who cares? But to say that would be imprisonable. Mm -hmm. So, uh, like I said last year to a group of people, you know, um, we were talking about things and I was speaking to the group and I was saying, to question the events of World War II is illegal in England, Ireland, Scotland, Wales, France, Germany, Switzerland, Belgium, Hungary, Austria, Israel, Poland, Portugal. I illegal. And in many more places. It is unlawful to hate the official version of events in those places. So I, I, I would suggest to you that Empire doesn't want you to hate because it doesn't want you to feel. And like I say, remember, feeling is making contact with reality. It is reaching outwards. Fe feeling is communion. And some of that communion will bring great sorrow and anger, which is what hate is. To not hate is to not feel. So why is, why is empire so serious about hate speech? And that's hate action. And you're a hater. I'm a hater. Don't be a hater. Well, I am a hater. Neil Kramer is a hater. Of course I am, because I feel. I engage in hate speech. Of course I do, because I communicate my feelings. <laughs> and saying more love, less hate is like saying more sunshine, less rain. Neither one can be right or wrong. Right. So groups like the Anti-Defamation League, the American Civil Liberties Union, Antifa and such things, you know, from Empire's perspective, we're set up to stop people feeling, to stop people expressing powerful feelings of aversion. Not, they're nothing to do with discrimination, injustice, and wrongness. Nothing to do with that. And a lot of people who work for them think it is, and a lot of people are trying to do that through those organizations. I get that. Of course I do. But uh, though they pretend to campaign for liberty and civil rights in a level playing field and so on, and lots of poor suckers have been hoodwinked by that, they're not looking properly because they're dreaming too hard and they don't, they, they don't get it. So organizations that ban hate, like the ADL and the ACLU, are harmful to human beings. They're not what they appear to be. They're not what they claim. And again, I have to say this because I know some people get their feathers ruffled by that. Like school, like education, which mainstream I think is disgusting, these uh, civil liberties groups, again, there's sometimes okay people who get involved in that stuff, sure. But it's misguided, in my view. The people directing these organizations, forming policy, affecting society, they are imperial intelligence operating through uh, what parapolitically you'd call black hat elements of the intelligence groups that we mentioned earlier. So they're secretly doing the opposite 
Alexis of what they claim. They restrict humanity. Mm -hmm. They don't want you to feel the pain of the truth of the world. So they outlaw feeling altogether. And when when someone becomes disinclined to feel negative things, they become an unconscious but active agent of the very system they're trying to oppose. Yeah, I get that. I get that. So there's a terrible irony in this, but hate is absolutely human and absolutely vital to the full spectrum, truthful experience of a human being. Here, here. Let's end on what some would say conversely. I would say as a companion to in the quest to establish equilibrium, I yes. would dare say you're probably a pretty, pretty intense lover too. And when I say lover, I mean lover of fill in the blank, beautiful nature at Al. Let's end on that note, Neil. Let's talk about how deeply you love and how deeply you can love as well as deeply hate. Hate and love, when you go to the center of it, is the same thing, which is powerful feeling, powerful immersion in the mystery. And some of that mystery you will have deep sorrow and anger about which is the hate bit and that's legitimate that's totally natural and other elements of the mystery as you go into it will bring the most extraordinary liberation through communion through love and what is love love is essentially simply closeness love is being so close to something so embraced with it that just for a moment it's not clear that there's any separation between those two things. So to see the woman, to see the mountain, to see the sky, to see the eagle fly overhead, to really see it is to love, is to be part of that environment. And as you love it, you are participating in the harmony of that entity. And so love becomes a pathway to communion. Real communion, the love of God, is a a real thing. The love of life is a real thing. And it requires this uh, enormous faith in oneself and one's own invulnerability. That there is never anything to fear from total feeling. From being able to feel so deeply that you may actually destroy yourself from such bliss or from such oblivion. When you have faith that you cannot be destroyed, then you have a chance at total feeling. And the feeling of love is critical to the human experience. It's totally, totally central to what a human being is, which is a being who merges with everything they set their attention upon. And when that merging is close, we call that love. Beautiful. One word. Beautiful. This world is exciting, mysterious, exhilarating, pathetic, loving, hating. It's full of everything. Beautiful. And we Beautiful. Are, <laughs> it is an exciting journey. And as I like to quote one of my favorite uh, physicists and philosophers, Richard Feynman, it is mysterious, but he says, it does no harm to the mystery to know a little bit about it. And I have to tell you, every time I listen to your wise words, 
the mystery gets a little bit less for me. And yet I know there's so much more to find. But all I can say is I thank you so much for um, gracing us with your presence today, Neil Kramer. We're going to do part two. Can, <laughs> because my I'm... pleasure. I was just going to say, my pleasure. It's always a oh. pleasure that we speak to each other too infrequently. But you and I have known each other for a number of years, and we it's have. my pleasure. So thank you. Well, I'm so glad at long last we get to have you on Higher Journeys. Tell us what you got going on. We're going to close out, and then we're. I'm going to. I don't want you to hang up. We're going to say goodbye to the audience, but we're going to book right. part two. Tell us. Uh, I know it's neilkramer.com. We of course will have a link to um, sure. Neil's great website. But tell us what you have on tap in terms of events and such. Sure. And this is where most people turn off, but don't turn off now because this is so awesome. (laughs) You would be mental if you didn't listen to this bit. So the first thing you must do, otherwise you must be crazy, is come and see me uh, at the Omega Institute, September the 7th to 9th, uh, later this fall. Come and see me in beautiful upstate New York and join our gathering of the most incredible men and women ever invented by God who all temporarily converge in one place and we call our workshop this year Radiant Shadow so it couldn't be more apt for our conversation Alexis so that's the first thing you have to do of course the second thing you have to do is you have to buy all my cool things on my <laughs> website, nilkramer.com. If you didn't, if you don't do that, you must be just evil. You must be wicked and strange you and left aside from humanity. So no, seriously, go to neilkramer.com. There's a ton of free material. Go and listen to my Romecast. There's like 25 hours of free downloads to listen to mm-hmm. that I have like very carefully and lovingly crafted for my pleasure and perhaps other people's pleasure go to the Romecasts section go to the media section you can look at videos interviews essays all kinds of stuff um and there's a ton of things on there without you having to part you know with a single penny if you do like some of that material then you can buy uh, some of the workshop audio recordings which are also on the on the website for like 20 dollars a piece so uh see what you think go and have a look Take, take a view of that final point yeah. our amazing film transmutation is going to be out i would say in the summertime it's been a long time and it's making it's finished it's all done all the sound all the beautiful pictures and words editing mastering everything is all totally done so we're just in the business stages now of figuring out how to get that to, to the right audiences and whatnot but that's going to be out soon transmutation so transmutationfilm.com go and go and take a look at that online you can see that through my website as well transmutation and uh that's going to be a beautiful documentary that uh perhaps next time you and i talk alexis we can uh, get into that a little bit absolutely well i, I already have uh the omega uh, omega institute in upstate new york perhaps on the calendar because i'm in these parts myself i'm in new england so that i know that'll be fabulous and i know you've been doing talks there for quite a few years now so we'll make it's sure great. to it's have it's really good yeah it's really really good so if anyone has been in the slightest interested in anything that i've said come along yeah. come along to that event it's like $400 for a ticket for the whole weekend. You've got to get your accommodation and food and all that separately, of course. But it's, it's honestly, it's just such a good weekend. It's totally worth it. And I'll educate and entertain people for sure. But the key thing is you will meet other fine men and women full of life, full of laughter, full of wisdom. And there's, there's nothing better to, than to spend time with such people. Talk about finding your equilibrium. There you go. We'll have a link to that too as well. So... Neil Kramer, what can I say? Words of wisdom. 
we need them now more than ever. And so, uh, so honored that you uh, have decided to share some of your precious time with us. So I'm going to say you don't hang up. I'm going to say so long to the Higher Journeys audience for now. But we will talk to you soon. And as always, we thank you for tuning in, everyone. Take good care. We must, as Neil says, engage with the mystery of life. And in so doing, we will be rewarded with the gift of continuance. For those who think that life is a predetermined list of choices from which to pick, and nothing outside of that list exists, I urge you to go back and listen to Neil's message again. Something may just well up from deep inside you to say, I am soul, and I am available to be reignited if you so choose, but choose you must. It was a great treat to have Neil on the show, and I'm excited that he's agreed to come back to do a part two with us, so stay tuned for that. In the meantime, allow me to thank you for tuning in and for being a part of the Higher Journeys family. You are greatly appreciated. I'll talk to you real soon. Until then, I'm your host, Alexis Brooks.